Good morning, and welcome to Current Radio. It's Saturday, January 13th. Today, we'll catch you up on the science stories you may have missed over the holiday period and delve into the discovery of new algae species that are rewriting scientists' understanding of reef systems. Plus, we'll explore how boosting microbiome science worldwide could save millions of children's lives and why Central American volcanoes are ideal for studying Earth's evolution. All this coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're going to catch up on some intriguing science stories that have emerged recently. Charlotte, I understand we have a variety of topics to discuss, from polar bear-inspired fashion to the dietary habits of juvenile tyrannosaurs. Where should we start? Well, Diego, let's start with the polar bear-inspired sweater. Scientists have created a sweater that's thinner than a down jacket, but just as warm, inspired by the fur of polar bears. It's a fascinating example of biomimicry, where we take inspiration from nature to solve human problems. That's quite innovative. And what about the juvenile tyrannosaur? I'm curious to know what they snacked on. Well, for the first time, scientists have found the stomach contents of a juvenile tyrannosaur. It's a rare and exciting find that provides insights into the diet of these prehistoric predators. Fascinating. Now, I've also heard about some challenges with the OSIRIS-REx's sample container. What's happening there? Yes, scientists are indeed struggling to open OSIRIS-REx's sample container. The first look at the asteroid dust brought back to Earth has been full of surprises, and it's proving to be a bit of a head-scratcher. Interesting. And I see that 2023 was a record year for retractions. Indeed, more than 10,000 research papers were retracted in 2023, setting a new record. It's a stark reminder of the importance of rigorous scientific scrutiny and the self-correcting nature of science. And finally, we have a story about cats playing fetch. Tell us more about that. Well, it turns out that cats can play fetch too, but only on their own terms. It's a charming reminder of the unique and often unpredictable nature of our feline friends. That's a fun note to end on, Charlotte. And speaking of updates, let's dive into a groundbreaking discovery where an international team of marine scientists has identified four new species of algae in the Great Barrier Reef and other unique reef systems. This discovery is challenging previous assumptions and expanding our understanding of these ecosystems. Charlotte, could you tell us more about this discovery and its implications? Absolutely, Diego. The team, led by Griffith University, discovered these new species within the Paralithon genus of algae. This genus is known for its significant ecological role in cementing the delicate frameworks of coral reefs and sustaining marine biodiversity. The new species named Paralithon lobulatum, Paralithon parvulum, Paralithon pinaculum, and Paralithon howensis were found in the eastern Australian waters, challenging the previous belief that the region was home to the P. gardineri and P. craspedium species. Interesting. And what makes these new species unique? Each of these new species has distinct features and habitats. For instance, Paralithon lobulatum has branched forms and lobed free margins and is found in the Coral Sea and on the Great Barrier Reef. Paralithon parvulum is characterized by short and unbranched protuberances and is found in the central and southern Great Barrier Reef. Paralithon pinaculum exhibits a mountain-like columnar morphology and is found on oceanic coral sea reefs. Finally, Paralithon howensis forms columnar protuberances and is predominantly found at Lord Howe Island. 
This discovery seems to have significant implications for our understanding of these ecosystems. Can you elaborate on that? Indeed, Diego. These findings challenge our understanding of the Parolathon genus and emphasize the need for further exploration and conservation of the Great Barrier Reef and its unique inhabitants. These species are very sensitive to ocean acidification and warming, and there's an urgency to recognize and document this diversity given the potential risks of losing it to climate change. As Associate Professor Diaz Polito, the research team leader, said, we can't protect what we don't know. A crucial reminder of the importance of continuous research and conservation efforts, Charlotte, which brings us to another fascinating area of study, the human microbiome, the collection of bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live on and in our bodies. However, it seems there's a significant gap in the data we have, with the majority of it coming from European and North American populations. Charlotte, could you elaborate on this issue? Absolutely, Diego. Despite less than 15% of the global population living in Europe or North America, over 70% of published human microbiome data comes from these regions. This means that the microbiomes of individuals in low- and middle-income countries, or ELMICs, are significantly underrepresented in research. This is a problem because the gut microbiota of people can differ greatly depending on where they live. Therefore, the development of effective microbiome-based therapeutics for those in poorer regions depends on data being collected from these areas. So there's a need for more diverse data. But what are the implications if we continue to overlook these populations in microbiome research? The implications could be significant. For example, investigators are beginning to explore the microbiota as a therapeutic target for diseases common in high-income countries, like metabolic disorders and cancer. However, Less attention is given to how the microbiota affects conditions such as malnutrition and infectious diseases that disproportionately affect people living in LMICs. This could result in the development of treatments that are ineffective for these populations. Furthermore, the genetic and phenotypic diversity of people's microbiomes means that findings made in Europe and North America will not necessarily apply to other regions. So, how can we address this issue? What steps can be taken to ensure that microbiome research is more inclusive and representative of global populations? There are several steps that can be taken. Firstly, regional centers of excellence dedicated to microbiome research could be established in LMICs. These centers could drive the training of researchers from other regions and provide a hub for sharing data, expertise, policies, and procedures. Secondly, researchers in LMICs need to establish curated microbial culture collections, particularly from children. This would allow for the development of microbial reference genomes specific to the local population. Lastly, robust networks between better resourced academic laboratories in Europe and North America and researchers in LMICs should be fostered. These collaborations should span decades and involve exchange programs and targeted research grants. It's clear that a more inclusive approach to microbiome research could lead to significant advancements in global health. Charlotte, and speaking of advancements, today we're diving into the world of volcanoes, specifically those in Central America. These volcanoes are not only fascinating in their own right, but they also provide a unique opportunity for scientists to study the Earth's evolution. Charlotte, can you tell us more about why these Central American volcanoes are so special? Absolutely, Diego. The Central American volcanic arc, which stretches from Mexico to Costa Rica, is a geological paradise. It's relatively small, just 680 miles long, 
but it contains a variety of different magma types, some of which are unique on the planet. This makes it an ideal natural laboratory for studying the Earth's evolution. Interesting. And how does this arc contribute to our understanding of the Earth's evolution? Well, the arc is the result of the subduction of tectonic plates, a process that has been shaping the Earth's surface for millions of years. The arc itself began to form about 150 million years ago and has been evolving ever since. By studying the arc and the variety of magmas it produces, scientists can gain insights into the processes that have shaped our planet over time. So it's like a living history book of the Earth's geological past. Can you tell us more about the unique magma types found in this region? Yes, the geochemical variations from Nicaragua to Costa Rica are the most extreme on the planet. For example, throughout Italy, you'll find magmas similar in chemical composition to those of Costa Rica, but all those volcanoes in Italy are going to be very similar to each other. In contrast, Costa Rica and Nicaragua show significant geochemical differences in their magmas, even though they are very close. This extreme variation in such a small area is unique to Central America. That's fascinating, and I understand that this region also has a unique combination of denser oceanic crust and lighter continental crust. What does this tell us? That's right. In Central America, the volcanic arc starts in continental crust in Chiapas and Guatemala, and when we enter Costa Rica, we enter the oceanic crust. This unique combination provides a rare opportunity to study how the Earth's crust evolves and changes over time. In fact, the region is so unique that Esteban Gazelle, a geochemist at Cornell University, refers to it as a geological paradise. From a geological paradise, as Charlotte just shared, we now wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Current Radio, and we look forward to bringing you more insights tomorrow.